Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. For in Him, Colossians 2 verse 9, for in Him, everybody say in Him. In who? Who's this talking about? Good guess. You know what? If, when all else fails, just say Jesus. That's a pretty good answer to any questions that ha- are happening in church. For in Him, in Jesus, dwells, watch this, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him dwells all the fullness of the God. Notice it says bodily. Now, what are you called as the church? The what? The body of Christ, which means, see, you get to experience in this body, in Him, the fullness of God. You've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, this is good. So then there are all these avenues and all these dimensions in this relationship with our God that we learn His particular personalities, being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and His Godness being one. It's a mystery, it really is. This Trinity, this three-in-one God is a mystery. But these are not just three attributes. These are three persons, but one God. And someday we'll understand that, you know, in, in greater measure. But for now, the, only, the simplest way that I can describe the Trinity is you have an egg. Let's just say you have an egg, all right? Which part is the egg? The shell, the yolk, or the white stuff? It's all one egg, right? But it's got three characteristics to it. That's the simplest way I can describe the Trinity. It's hard to really wrap our minds around it, but they are one God, but yet there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And man, does he ever want us to have a relationship with him in all three of those ways. You know, Jesus said something really powerful. And I want to just, and I'm not here to change how you relate to God. I just want to help open your eyes and see maybe a greater dimension to understand, a greater reality in your relationship with Him. And, and, and that is this. The Spirit of Christ lives in you. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. We'll come back to Colossians 2, 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, Or if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, does He, does he live in you? then he who lives in you, he who dwells in you, will quicken your mortal body. All right, so we understand that the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is what is residing in us, called the Holy Spirit of God. Now, where is Jesus? He's in my heart. Yeah, kind of, not really. He's actually seated next to the Father. The Spirit of Christ is in you. All right? Now, I'm not here to, like like I said, I'm not here to, I don't want to hurt anybody's little sacred cows on this issue, but I really would rather you walk in truth than religious tradition. All right, I want to see you free in your relationship with God to really understand just how dynamic this thing is through Jesus Christ. Think about this for a moment. Jesus told his disciples, in that day, you'll not ask me anything. You'll ask the Father. You're not praying to me. You're not asking me because I'm next to the Father. Here, This is what Jesus has done for us. He has reconciled our relationship to God 
so deep and so rich, not to simply just have peace with God, but that we could call God Father. See, he wants you to have the same relationship with God that he does. Because the scripture says that he has put in us, he has given us his spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, what? Abba, Father. He brought us this near to God. He says, now I want you to talk to him like I talk to him. Now you can have the same relationship with the Father that I do, because you're all his children too. Like I said, I want you to understand these things, so I think that our prayers will be better directed and more effective. When we have this understanding that God is our Father. As I said last week, you remember when I was talking out of Luke chapter 11, where it says that the, the friend was knocking on the door, right? He's knocking on the door. She comes over at night and he says, hey, some, a friend of mine showed up on a distant journey. I don't have anything, any bread to give him. Can you let me in? And the man says, I, I, I can't rise and give to you. My children are here with me in bed. He says, Jesus said, but not for his Friendship, not because he's his friend, but because of his persistence. And see, if we don't really understand this reality of relationship with God, we'll find ourselves being the friend outside, uh, trying to get to God. When you, you have to understand, you're not the friend outside, you're the children in the bed with the Father. You're not on the outside. Everything he has is yours. We're not beggars, we're children. My children don't have to, don't have to beg me to get the food out of the refrigerator and eat, it's theirs. Amen. So in him, see, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, which means he has brought us into perfect, harmonious communion with God Almighty himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Oh, if the church could really wake up, if, they, if we could really see this reality for what it is. Because I'm convinced of this, we would not pray weak, beggarly prayers. We wouldn't pray religious little prayers. We would talk to our Father, and we would ask for things that people on the outside are afraid to ask for. People are on the outside really don't have a right to. Not everybody can come over to our house and take all of our food. I mean, you know, we probably wouldn't hold it against you too much. Heather might. She bites, by the way, so you... I'm going to stay away from But our children don't have any issues with that because they're in the house. They have a right to it. And the, the, the scripture says, God did not spare his own son. And he who did not spare him, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I mean, he's already shown us what kind of giver he is and what he's willing for us to have so that we can pray Prayers like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I don't want anything in my life but the heavenly standard. I don't want anything in my life but what the Father has provided for me. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ooh, now watch this, this next verse. Verse, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, while I go through puberty right here on the stage. <laughs> Verse, verse 10 of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verse 10. And you are, what? You are complete where? In him. You are complete in him. Hey, listen, if you ever need to tell anybody they complete you, you need to tell that to God, not your spouse. Hmm? You complete me. 
I love having you in my life, sweetheart, but he's the one that completes me. You know, that's just, that's just nonsense. It's not, if you expect your wife or your husband to complete you, you are in a jacked up relationship and you're putting expectations on them that only God can meet. Hmm? Yeah, the rubber just met the road right there. It's true. You complete me. Please don't tell me that. You're psychotic. I don't want to be in this relationship. No, no, a, a whole marriage, two people coming together, are two single whole people coming together in union. All right? Not two halves. Amen. Amen. I know. Uh, all right. See, some of you, some of you had, a, had a hard time with what I just said because you bought into the Hollywood way. It's all about mushy-gushy. Think about this. How long? Seriously, love, love is beyond a feeling. How many of you have been married more than a year? <laughs> love is beyond a feeling, isn't it? Huh? What are you looking at me like that for? I don't mean this against... My, I mean, she would... She, I'm repeating what she says here. What Heather says. I'm telling... She says, there are days that I don't feel one ounce of love for him. But it's not feelings. That's where we have to remember there's a greater thing than just a feeling of love for one another. There are promises, there are vows that we made to one another. And so based on that, it can't just be a, a feeling. Can you imagine having that honeymoon feeling for five years? You'd be going nuts. You'd go nuts. You're like, I can't take this anymore. No. See, love is tried in the fire, in the difficult times. And, I, and, you know, Heather and I have had some difficult times in our life, financially, relationally, just different scenarios that happen. And we have found that when we just decided we were going to stay committed to one another through these things, I found a, a whole different dimension of love that I did not know. It was way past the feeling. Um, back to this. You're complete in Him. You're complete in Him. You're complete in Him. Say, I am complete in Him. Now watch this. Who is the head of all principality and power? Now, you see what that means? He has all the authority. And if Jesus has all the authority, what does that give you? All principalities and powers. Every power of the devil... There is no power over you. Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Well, what is the power of the enemy? How powerful is he? Well, here's what he is in, in just the essence of his being now, because we're going to see what Jesus did to him. But he is just a big mouth liar. That's all he is. Okay? But here's the deal. If you entertain the lie, if you entertain the lie, then that gives him entrance then to come in and do more than just lie to you. Because he is a destroyer. He's come to wreak havoc. He's come to steal. He's come to kill. And it says he roams about like a roaring lion. Remember, he's not a roaring lion, but he sounds like one. He's got a big mouth. Seeking whom he may devour. See, he has to have permission. He doesn't get to just go do it. If the devil had all this control, planes would be dropping out of the sky every day. 
Cars will be crashing. Uh, like, I mean, we think it's bad now with the few wrecks we have. That's the human error most, <laughs> for most part. I mean, it would be utter, pure chaos all the time. All right? So just remember that. Because of him, because you're in him, you're complete. And he's the head of all principality and power. So this isn't your authority. This is his authority that you're living in. And that's why he said, in my name, you can cast out devils. In my name, you speak in new tongues. In my name, you lay hands on the sick and they recover. In my name, you go to the Father. It's the highest authority. And and Peter said it like this. There is no other name given among men in heaven or in earth by which we must be saved. It's the name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, let's keep, keep going. Everybody all right? It's kind of interesting that When it says the, uh, dwells in him the fullness of the Godhead bodily, um, the plural name for God, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, in the Old Testament is Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, or Elohim, <laughs> E-L-O-H-I-M, Elohim, and it is used over 2,600 times. Uh, this is a plural pronoun used by God himself, uh, we find that in Genesis chapter 1. We've, we've read this. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, um, uh, what was the name of that series? Time to Upgrade. Yes, it's Time to Upgrade. Uh, I've preached a few messages since then. Uh, that, that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, God says, let us make man in our own image. After our likeness. Let us make man. So God introduces himself there as Elohim, which is the plural pronoun. This is amazing. And, and um, also Genesis 11, verse 7, uh, when, when God came down, remember the Tower of Babel. And look what it says. I'm just going to give you the that verse 7. It says, come, let us go down and there confound their language. Isaiah 6, 8, he says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us. Uh, Genesis 3, after man fell, the Lord God said, behold, the man is become as one of us. Isn't that interesting? So uh, we see him referring, you can see the plurality of God in a few of those verses. I think it's kind of interesting in Mark chapter 15. Let's turn there for a minute. Mark chapter 15, you're going to see something quite powerful, I think. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That's my best attempt at that. Which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 35. Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Next. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered up to him to drink, saying, Let him offer to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. That's kind of interesting because there was there, there was a the Jews were waiting for Elijah again, but Jesus said Elijah had already come. He said John the Baptist was the Elijah that was to come again. So in one sense, we could see that we can, maybe they were actually waiting to see, is he really going to come here? 
Some say that he was mocking, they were mocking Jesus, saying he's calling for Elijah. But I'm not too sure that you can go that far yet, knowing how the Jews reverence the name of God. I don't think that's a good argument, really. I mean, they won't even spell the old, his whole name out. Um, so I don't think that they're, I think there's something else happening here. He's calling for Elijah. Now, did Jesus speak the same language as everybody else? They heard him teach in the temples. They heard him teach uh, uh, out in public. They, they understood him just fine. And now all of a sudden, they don't understand this. Now, if you look at this term, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabach, it is, it is a Hebrew, it's Aramaic and Hebrew hybrid, all right, which they knew both of those things. But what's interesting is what Jesus does here is he pulls out one aspect of the Godhead here. Not Elohim, but Eloi. He's talking directly to the Father here. My God. Notice he didn't say, though, Father. He said, my God. And when they heard that, they didn't talk to God like that. So it was, it was strange to their ears to hear him refer to him like that. So that's why, they, did he say Elijah? He's calling for Elijah. Let's see if he comes. And so they missed this because they missed him. They didn't see that the coming one had come. And so they're still waiting for another. And so their ears are somewhat stopped up and deaf, and their eyes are blind to see it. Interesting that Jesus is talking to God. Why do you think he didn't call him Father here? I've wondered that. Why didn't he say, my Father, my Father? Well, he said, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? It's an interesting thing because at this moment, my family, this is right before Jesus died. At this moment, he had been forsaken by God Almighty. When he became the sin center of the... We have to understand what was happening here. It's hard to even wrap our minds around. None of us will ever know what this is like as believers. We'll never know what separation from God is. We'll never know what being forsaken by God is. You'll never know it. Now, you might feel like it's true sometimes, but that's, that's not true. Jesus became fully forsaken by the Father. God had to do that so that that separation that sin brought could be satisfied. Sin, separation, and death. And so when he said that, my God, my God, no longer is this a man, no longer is he talking to him like a son, but a sinner. He's fully separated from him. How does Jesus even rehearse for this moment? He knows he's coming to die. He's even said it many times. But when he gets to it, how can he really know what to experience? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the most interesting thing is he doesn't leave it there. We see in another account, in Luke's account, where Luke says that Jesus then looks up after that moment, after he has taken all the weight of our sin and he is, as it were, falling headlong into hell. He looks up and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now listen to me. There's no sense of God anywhere. There's no sense of God anywhere. There's no sense of God anywhere. This is simply a man speaking out by pure faith. Fully cut off. 
And yet, the greatest statement of faith ever uttered in the Scriptures was right here. Going into the eternal blackness of hell. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Extraordinary man. Even in his last breath, he was demonstrating faith is what you got to stay in. Well, he's there with him now. He was forsaken just for a moment. And once he carried our sins to that tomb, God raised him from the dead. Praise God. Uh, I didn't mean to go this deep tonight, but I'm glad we did. Now, let, let, let's, let's keep going. I'm almost, well, yeah, I guess I'm kind of through. Um, let's go back to Colossians 2. I have yet to get to my favorite part in this chapter. This is three attempts at it. And you are completed him who is the head of all principality. And power. In him, verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Say without hands. Okay, in other words, this is not a man-made circumcision. This is not something that happens uh, from the doctor. Um, or uh, in the Jewish culture, it's on the eighth day of the male child. He is to go get circumcised. Jesus was himself. But this is not that kind of circumcision. Watch this. In him you were also circumcised. What was circumcision about? Well, remember God, it was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It was Abraham's part in the covenant. And that, that would separate all the men. They would separate Abraham and his descendants from the rest of the world as a separated people. It, it is a sign of sanctification, all right, where you are cutting yourself off from the ways of this world, from the appetites of the body, from carnality, all right? Okay, watch this. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made with... So there's a circumcision with hands, and there's a circumcision without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. So, now we could say, okay, so the, the, the less I give in to the appetites of the flesh, the more circumcised I become? I don't know. No, it's not what, that's not what it's saying. We have to keep reading. By the circumcision of Christ. In other words, we couldn't do this. He had to do it. Look at Romans 2. Uh, let me just read it to you, and we're going to stay right here. Romans 2, 28, it says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision that is of the heart. Ooh, okay. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. This, this circumcision of the heart means that God has separated you from the old nature to the new nature. He's put his spirit on the inside of you, which has separated you from everything that is ungodly and woo, foreign to God. Now watch this, verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. There are two things that Paul brings out here. Dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So what Paul is saying is you were dead in your trespasses. That is because of Adam's sin, you're all sinners. That's your nature. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, which means you are not a people that were chosen by God under Abraham. You were not my covenant people. And you talk about being on the outside. I mean, we were on the outside of this thing. This thing. Physically, uh, 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 spiritually, all the way. Totally foreign to God. And, and his, his uh, plan and purposes in the earth. Wow. Because God had chosen his own special people, the Jews, at that time. And you being dead in your, dead in your trespasses, uncircumcision of your flesh. All right, I'm going to go to one last place. Ephesians chapter 2. Are you all awake out there? Okay. I didn't run off and leave you, did I? 
Heather will let me know if I did or not. She always lets me know. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, but she doesn't only say that. She tells me when I do good too, so I don't want you to see her as just a critic. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you were, not in, uh, you're, you were not in the covenant with God. You were not the chosen people of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. There was no, at this time, the reality was for us was too bad. And it really was. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's a stinky place to be. None of that looks good. But 13. But now, everybody say, but now. Say it again, but now. Where? In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Not by your works, but by His work. Not by your blood and sweat and tears, but by His blood. You've been brought near to God, so near that He's your Father. And look at, let's go back to verse 13. He has made alive together with Him. Let's go back, I'm sorry, 13 of Colossians 2. He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Did you see that? He has made alive. You who were dead and you were cut off. Now, He's made you alive, how? With Him. See, our whole life, our whole Christian experience, our whole Christian being is in Him. We have nothing outside of Him, but in Him we have everything. We are complete in Him. Made us alive together with Him. Have now, how alive is Jesus? You reckon He's going to die again? Never again. The Scripture says He did it once, and He will not die again. That means if you're alive with Him, you'll never die. Now, I'm not talking about shedding this body. That's a different deal. Well, He might show up before, before you die. That'd be cool. You just get caught up together with him. Right? That'd be fine. But if you did die, you're still in him. Paul said whether you, you, you die in Jesus or whether you're alive in Jesus, you still are Jesus's. You belong to him. Don't matter. He transcends that Jesus ain't afraid of death. Huh? He overcame it. It ain't nothing for him. The moment you close your eyes in death here, you're right there in his presence. He said, now let me show you what life really is. Hallelujah. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. My God. I missed a verse. I did verse 12. And I'll finish with this verse. I said I'd finish earlier. I really will finish this time. I don't want to lie to you. Buried with Him in baptism. You see that? See, baptism is not just a symbolic thing. Baptism is not just an outward expression of an inward work, even though it is that, but that's, it's more than symbolic. See, it says you died with him. What do you got to do with a dead man? You got to bury him. How many of you have buried loved ones? Hmm? Now, if you wanted to hold on to them, take them home with you, put them somewhere in the back bedroom, sooner or later, you're going to regret that decision. 
Sooner or later, you're going to regret it because dead people need to be buried. Right? The old needs to go away. And the waters of baptism is where you are burying the old man. And when you come up out of that water, now you are fully identifying with the resurrected king. Now, you're not saved, justified through water baptism, as some teach. Your justification is by faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, period. But you do need that baptism for this walk on the earth. This is really about you having this moment where you become aware that you are a new creation in Christ. The old things are gone. We buried the old man. I, I did it physically so that I could remember this thing. All right? In which you also were raised through, with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What was the working of God? The working of God was that God raised him from the dead. God did this work. God brought this salvation to you. God is the one who circumcises the heart so that we never, ever, ever can think that we had any part to do with our salvation. Oh, that we would grasp the beauty and the glory of this reality of salvation that we have, that it is through him. The working of God. My faith is not in me. My faith is in the working of God. That's why John told us we could stand boldly in the day of judgment while others will be crying and screaming and begging God. His children will stand there boldly on that day because all of our hope is in Jesus. I'm not here by works of righteousness that I've done. I gave that up a long time ago. I settled my case out of court. I put my faith in Jesus, and his blood is what gives me bold access here. It's, his blood is what gives me boldness to stand before God the judge. Woo! That's not a day for you to tremble at. That's a day for you to look forward to. Because that's when you're really going to understand just how saved and thoroughly righteous you have become. Amen and amen. I have to stop there because, my gosh, this thing's about to take off. And, and I mean, it's, this, it's a glorious, glorious next few verses we're going to get into. But I think tonight's been pretty glorious, too. I think it's been good. Good stuff. Say this with me. I am in him. I am complete in him. Everything in Jesus is everything I need. I'm not a beggar. I'm not a slave. I'm even better than a friend. I am a child of God. Jesus brought me into this family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You believe that tonight? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we, we bless you. We thank you. Why don't we just lift our hands and just let's thank him for this reality for a moment. You know, God is pleased. God is pleased with a sacrifice of praise. He loves to hear from you. He loves to hear you give praise to his name. He loves to hear you commune with him. He loves to see a grateful heart. He loves to see one respond to this great salvation by lifting our hands and opening our mouths and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you did this for me. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave me out of this. Thank you that your blood came all the way to my house. Hallelujah. Your forgiveness came all the way to my house. Thank you, Lord. Even knowing what I would do, <laughs> you came anyway. Because your love covers a multitude of sins. And this Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. No sin on planet earth could even compare to the greatness of the grace of God. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That means us. We are a reconciled people through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you brought us all the way into this family. And tonight we just say, thank you, Father. 
We bless you, Father. Jesus, you brought us into the relationship with our Father. Abba, Father, we thank you. Thank you that you have given us everything when you gave us Jesus. Lord, Father, help us to be more aware of this, to stay aware of this, to never, never slip into the mindset of we're on the outside. No, we're not on the outside. We're on the inside with God so that we will act like your children. We'll talk like your children. We'll think like your children. We'll be your children in this earth. It's what the world is crying out for. It's, it's in travail. The world is constantly in travail looking for the revealing of the sons of God. And Lord, we say, we'll be that. We will reveal what that looks like to the world, to be the children of the living God, and to bear fruit unto holiness through our righteous condition. Thank you, Father. Bless these people. I declare peace, peace, peace. Peace over their minds. Peace over their marriages. Peace over their children. Peace in the workplace. Peace, Lord, in traffic. Peace in their homes. In every aspect of their life, Lord, it is something that continues to umpire their lives, that guards their hearts and their minds. I thank you, Lord, it is that steady, calm, even in the raging storm. Lord, your peace doesn't take us out of the storm, but it takes the storm out of us. Hallelujah. And we thank you, Lord, that when we're standing there and the winds are blowing, we are standing on the rock. The floods are coming, but we're standing on the rock. Our hope is in our God, who will never leave us nor forsake us. Somebody needed to hear that tonight. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He has not done it, and he never will do it. He's always there. And the moment... And if ever you get that feeling, where's God, where's God, open up your mouth and say, thank you, Lord, that you're here with me now. I'm not going to believe the lie. I'm not going to go to that dark place that I know is not true. I'm connecting to you right now. At that moment, just connect to it. God, thank you that you're with me now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And because of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you for wisdom now. Thank you for grace now. Thank you for your help right now. Hallelujah, in Jesus' mighty name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com. 